0: Welcome to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm so glad that you're tuning in with us. If this is your first time listening or you'd just like to reach out, feel free to shoot an email to hello at capitalcitychristian.org, and I'd be glad to talk with you. We're going through a message series called Colossians, which is about a letter a guy named Paul wrote in the Bible about a big Jesus for life's big problems. This week we're talking about relationships. As humans, we have tons of relationships, family members, friends, coworkers. Relationships are huge. But it's extremely important that we do relationships the right way, the God-honoring way. And that's what we're talking about today. So here is our senior minister, Dr. Stephen Doc Patterson. Glad you guys are here. You need to remember that one of our goals here at Capital City is to share whatever we can find that will make your life better. So I'm going to share something right here at the outset that's going to make your life better. Yovana sent me a public service announcement last week. Here it is. 10 tips for eating better. Here it is. How to eat better. Number one, cook bacon at home. It's not just for restaurants. Okay, Cook it at home. I recommend cast iron. Number two, eat your bacon without multitasking. Don't be focused on anything else. Focus on the bacon right? How you eat is important as what you eat. Focus. Number three, listen to your body. Eat it when you're hungry and don't stop until you're satisfied. Number four, eat bacon at regular times. I suggest you start with three meals a day. And then number five, plan some bacon snacks. Okay? Number six, eat a variety of bacon. You gotta expand your world. Next, don't be afraid of fat. In fact, use the bacon fat to flavor all your other foods, it'll make them better. Okay? Next one, when you're given a choice of eating broccoli, cauliflower, or kale, always choose bacon. Okay? And finally, never, ever, 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 ever eat turkey bacon. It's a satanic substitute. Okay? Just a little help for you. Now, okay, if you've got a Bible with you or you've got a Bible on your phone or your tablet, find Colossians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible on your phone or your tablet, I would suggest that you download the U version. It's free. It's really, really good. Just takes a couple of minutes. If you do have one of those old-fashioned paper Bibles, we leave the lights up in the back corner so that you can read them there. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to dig in there in just a few minutes. And if you guys ever watch the show alone on the History Channel. Interesting show, really interesting. They take 10 people, most of them quite skilled. They allow them to choose 10 pieces of survival gear and then they drop them into some remote wilderness where each one is completely alone. You're just alone, no partners, no support team, no camera crew. They gotta figure out their food and their shelter and they've gotta figure out how to deal with being absolutely alone. How do you think you'd do? messes with their heads you know why we weren't made to go it alone we were made to do life with people with family with friends with neighbors we need relationships we crave relationships and we're lousy at them we're flat out terrible at it now my suggestion is for these next couple of questions that you sit there very very still and don't react Okay? Guys, if you're going to answer one of these questions, I'm going to tell you to do something like this. Okay? Just nod your head. Question number one. If you're married, how's it going for you? Is it everything you dreamed it would be? Guys? Okay? Is it everything you promised each other? If you're newlywed, you're probably thinking, well, yeah. If you're not a newlywed, about half our marriages end in divorce. About half of the rest might as well be divorced you're just two strangers sometimes two combatants living under the same roof and all of our marriages all of our marriages over time go through some really tough times do you buy that question number two if you have parents any of you guys have parents that's humor or if you have kids how's that going for you Did your parents ever rub you the wrong way your kids ever rub you the wrong way you ever want to send your kids back you kids ever want to trade in your parents number three how about your friends how are you doing with your friends do your friends ever neglect you do they ever disappoint you have you ever been used by a friend or, an, or even abused by a friend I mean it can be painful to have friends can't it it's even worse not to have them because it's so intensely lonely Question number four, how are your relationships at work, school, maybe in your neighborhood? Do they ever get messy? Do you ever ever have any neighbors that you just wished they lived a whole lot further away from you? Do you ever have a person at school or at work that when you see them coming, you just want to duck into some hall and go the other way? How about at church? How are your relationships with people here at church? Are there any people here at church that annoy you? marginalize you, or maybe who have hurt you. And if you say no, give it time. And sometimes, guys, the hurts that we experience here hurt way worse than the hurts that we experience out there. Bottom line, guys, we were made to do life with people. We were made for relationships. We need them, we crave them, and we're terrible at them. You know why? Because every single one of us stumbles and falls a lot. And every one of us sins a lot. And when we stumble and fall, and especially when we sin, we always hurt the people around us. Now someday it's going to be different. Someday Jesus is coming back and he's going to finish morphing us Jesus followers into what he meant us to be. No Jesus follower is ever, ever going to feel lonely again. Won't that be something? No one is going to be neglected No one's going to be used. No one's going to be abused. You're not going to panic when you see that person who used to be a dork coming down to the hall at you. You're not going to wince at what he or she did to you at one time. What you need, what you crave, what you were built for, you're going to live it out. And that's going to be so cool. Well, here's the big idea. We Jesus followers are supposed to start living out relationships, Kingdom of God style, right here, right now. Right now, if you're a Jesus follower, you're a citizen of the Kingdom of God. So, right now, right here, you live by a different set of rules, and that's really the wrong word for it. You live out a different set of values in your relationships. God wants you to start doing heaven here on earth. It's going to be hard. And it's going to be really, really healing. Now, this morning is really part two of the sermon that I started last week. I don't know if you were here last week. If you did, maybe you'll remember the big idea. I kept repeating this line. Remember who you are and what, and what you stand for. Remember who you are and what you stand for. If you're a Jesus follower right now, you are a resident alien in this world. You are a citizen of God's kingdom. And as citizens of God's kingdom, there are things that we just don't do, things that people around us do all of the time. As citizens of God's kingdom, there are things that we do do that people around us think are kind of weird, strange, but we're different, we're different. Last week I used a metaphor, I used this picture as a metaphor, it's it's called Born Again by Dean Kermit Allison and when we accept Jesus Christ as our savior and make him our Lord, the Bible says we actually die to this world, we die to this world and the rest of our life here on earth is is an attempt to peel off the old and that job isn't going to be finished until we stand before Jesus face to face and he's going to finish this job and we're finally going to become what he made us to be. Well, this week I'm going to change the metaphor up just a little bit. Actually, I'm going to go back to the metaphor that's used by the Apostle Paul in this little letter that we're studying. He tells us to take off the old and put on the new, kind of like clothes. Take off the old, put on the new. There are things that as Jesus followers we don't wear anymore. There are things that as Jesus followers we put on because they're consistent with who we are. Now, the part of Colossians that we're going to unpack this morning... It's all about relationships. It's about relationships, how we do life with each other as members of the kingdom of God, as opposed to the way that we used to do them, as opposed to the way that sometimes we slip back and do them, which is world style. You see, when God planted in us this need for relationships, this craving for relationships, he also gave us some pointers as to how to make them work. And guys, if you were isolated, if you were alone, if you were part of that show when you were just planted down somewhere and there was no one around you that you had to deal with you wouldn't need any of the stuff we're going to talk about this morning but everybody in this room is in a plethora of relationships and you're bad at them, so are the people you're dealing with so we're going to talk about how to do relationships kingdom style with our husbands and wives, with our parents and kids with our neighbors and colleagues and classmates, with our church family the stuff we're going to talk about applies to all of them. So you ready? Colossians chapter 3, starting with verse 12. Paul starts out like this. He says, Since God chose you to be the holy people that he loves. Since God chose you to be the holy people that he loves. I want to take each one of those three pieces. This is just introductory. But this is who you are. Since God chose you. You believe that? A few years ago, Some of our kids were being sucked into the dark side of Calvinism. If you don't know what Calvinism is, it's the idea that God predestines, God predetermines who's in and who's out. You're not free to choose for God or against God. He'll choose you. And if he doesn't choose you, you're out. And once you're saved, you're always saved. And our kids were engaged in this stupid social media debate. I hate those things. And one of them said about some messed up kid, kid said, well, obviously he's not one of God's elect. He's not one of God's chosen. God didn't choose him. And these kids believe that nonsense. And they figured that since God hadn't chosen this guy, he was always going to be a mess. That was God's plan for this poor kid. Those kids were wrong on two counts. Number one, even if God does choose some and not others. You don't know, and you can't be the judge, and don't you dare make that judgment about anybody. And number two, God chooses every single one of you. Do you believe that? God chooses you, and He chooses you, and He chooses you. The Bible says God wants everyone to be saved, that excludes nobody. The Bible says God doesn't want anyone to be lost. That's God's will for you. God chooses you. When Paul says God chose you, what he's trying to tell you is that it's all grace. It's all grace. God doesn't choose me because I'm worthy. He chooses me because he's grace. God doesn't choose you because you're lovable. God chooses you because he's grace. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been, what you've done. I don't care what's been done to you. God chooses you. Some of you guys have gone through life thinking you've never been chosen for anything. You go through life feeling rejected until you feel like dirt. God chooses you. But he allows you to accept that choice or not. He chooses you to be the holy people that he loves, to be the holy people that he loves. A lot of people understand what that word means. They think holy is about being some kind of a do-gooder, that you're just flat out better than all the other sinners out there, kind of like me, a holy man, right? I mean, that's humor. It's not the root meaning of the word holy. To be holy means to be set apart. It means to be set apart, to be separate, to be given over to God. To be holy means you're God's now. You're doing life for God now. You're doing life with God now. You are different. If you are a Jesus follower, you were chosen by God to be the holy people that He loves. You're special to God. You're treasured by God. You're precious to God. He sets you apart as a Jesus follower. So remember who you are and what you stand for. Some of you guys have been marginalized and treated as insignificant and worthless for so long that you can't believe that. What you believe about yourself is a myth. God himself, the creator himself, chose you to be holy, to be special. You know why? (laughs) Because of this last word. Do you think God actually loves you? Some of you guys have a terrible time believing that. You might accept the notion that God tolerates you until he'll finally fix you, right? Do you think he actually loves you? And you don't know how that's possible. I mean, you know some of the people uh, that are in your life, and you say, they're just not lovable. I don't care if you're God or not. You just can't love that kind of person. Some of you guys know yourselves too well to think that God could ever love you. You kind of hide who you are from people because you think that if they knew who you really were, they wouldn't love you either. Hmm. Guys, wouldn't it be cool to really accept the fact that you're not just tolerated by God, you are loved by God? And you see, guys, if, if it weren't for the cross, I wouldn't buy it. I'd just blow it off as preacher talk. But God so loves the world. Know that verse? God so loves the world. Are you part of that world? God so loves you that he gave his only begotten son, that he gave his only begotten son to die for you. For one, for the cross, you'd be crazy to believe that God actually loves you. Because of the cross, you're crazier to believe he doesn't. So remember who you are. You're chosen, you're holy, you're loved. Remember who you are and what you stand for, and that's what comes next here in our text. Paul says, because you're chosen, because you're holy, because you're loved, because you're a Jesus follower, you must clothe yourselves, and look at this list. This is pretty incredible. Tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. you got to make allowance for each other's faults and you got to forgive anyone who offends you. Holy cow. Mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness. Who could do that? Can you imagine what it would look like For any two people, for any people in a relationship, for any community of people, if they actually tried living this stuff out. You know why God tells us to do this stuff? It's because he's a realist. Go figure. God knows you're going to mess up. God knows you're going to sin. He knows that we're going to hurt each other. And he knows that any relationship between two messy people is going to require things like mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance and forgiveness. This is the stuff you're going to need when you're in relationship with messy people. This is the stuff that the people around you are going to need with you when you mess up and you sin. This is the stuff that is required to restore equilibrium to restore peace, to restore joy. This is the stuff that is mandatory to eliminate the frictions that every single one of our relationships is going to work up. This is how to do relationships kingdom style. Now I'm going to fly through this list here in just a couple of minutes. I don't have time to unpack any of them thoroughly. I'm just going to fly through them. And I I just want you to find the one or the two or the three or the four that you struggle with most. Okay? Starts out tenderhearted mercy. Some Bibles translate it compassion. And the truth is, most of us are okay with a little bit of mercy, a little bit of compassion. But for most of us, our compassion can grow thin. Our hearts can get calloused. Sometimes because there's just so much pain. We kind of harden to it. I get tired of seeing your pain. I get tired of hearing about your pain. And I just kind of grow hard-hearted over time. Sometimes because we're just so self-absorbed you know the fact is i've got my own issues i don't need to hear about all of yours i know it's hard guys but i think god wants our compassion to last just about as long as his does how long do you want his so if you're going to do relationships his way kingdom style we're going to have to dig deeper maybe your husband or your wife was sharp with you and instead of bristling can you understand the pain that lay behind her words that's tender-hearted mercy maybe a friend is withdrawn or sharp do you know about the fight that they just had at home or the diagnosis they just got at the doctor's office or the bill that they just got in the mail and if you did would it soften your heart that's tender-hearted mercy do you actually feel somebody's hurt? Someone you care about. That's tender-hearted mercy. And it's powerful. I'm going to try to be there for you as long as you're hurting, as long as you're broken, as long as you're overwhelmed. And that's really hard to do. Because I don't want to enable you, but I'm never going to stop caring. Tender-hearted mercy. And then he then goes to kindness. Goes to kindness. And I think kindness kind of takes mercy a step further. I heard Andy Stanley speak recently, and this is how he defined kindness. He said, kindness is, instead of reminding you of your weakness, kindness is loaning you my strength. Instead of reminding you of your weakness, it's loaning you my strength. You see, some people feel mercy. They feel mercyful. They're compassionate. They feel it, but they never actually do anything about it. ever feel compassion for someone maybe they actually do move you but you do nothing and you could have now i know that there's way more pain out there than you can fix but someone's close to you and they're hurting husband a wife a kid a parent a friend a colleague a person who sits near you in church have you ever stepped in when god has given you a door so that you actually try to mend their pain in some fashion Greek word that Paul uses for kindness here is a great word. It it actually comes out of the same root as the word for grace. Grace is not something you feel. Grace is something you do. It's trying to be there for someone. It's kind of putting hands and feet to your compassion, which is really hard for some people because we live in an age of selfies, right? It's all about me, my pain, my happiness, and I want to take care of me first. That is not doing relationships kingdom style. Someone near me is hurting. I care. And if I can and God gives me a way, I try to do something about it. Whether it's family, a friend, a neighbor, someone at school or work, that's doing relationships kingdom style. He goes on. This next one is not my favorite. Humility. Put it on. Did you know that humility is a choice? You can choose to be humble or not. You have that choice. Choosing humility is incredibly countercultural because in our culture, humility is almost a vice, not a virtue. To renounce your rights, to renounce your status so that you can serve somebody else. Did you hear that? To renounce your rights, to renounce your status so you can serve somebody else. We're all about my rights. We're all about my status, which is pretty much the opposite of humility. To renounce my rights and to renounce my status so I can serve somebody else. In other words, Paul says, be like Jesus. Hmm. You think Jesus had a right to be prideful? Do you think Jesus was humble? In another one of his letters, the Apostle Paul put it like this. He writes this about Jesus. He says, don't be selfish. He's writing to us. Don't be selfish, which is kind of where a lot of us live. Don't try to impress others, which is where kind of a lot of us live. Be humble. Choose it. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. And you're thinking to yourself, but they're not. And you're right. It doesn't say they are. It says treat them that way think of him that way don't look out only for your own interests what you're going to be doing but take an interest in others too you must have the same attitude as Jesus did be like him look at what he did verse goes on, next slide although Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to, he renounced his rights as God Instead he gave up his divine privileges which means that he renounced his status and his rights. He took a humble position of a slave go figure. He was born as a human being like us when he appeared in human form he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. He renounced his rights he renounced his status to serve you. He renounced his rights and his status to serve you. That's what humility looks like. Paul says, you do that. You do that. I'll bet in your whole life you have never ever seen a fight between two humble people. Right? Hear about the fight in the parking lot? Humble Vern and humble Steve just lit each other up over a parking spot. Hear about the fight down at Kroger? Humble Lisa and humble Jessica almost came to blows over the last package of bacon. (laughs) Seriously. Do you think some genuine humility would heal some of your relationships? And if you think humility sounds bad, gentleness gentleness is hard for some folks in our culture other translations actually it meekness and we kind of hate that term it actually sounds wussy meekness sounds to us like weakness people are going to run right over you they're going to use you they're going to abuse you they're going to toss you aside if you're too gentle because they don't have a real clue about what godly gentleness is You see, we think people are gentle because they're weak. We think they're gentle because they're afraid. That is not what Paul is talking about. It's not real gentleness if you're just a wuss. Gentleness is strength under control. Strength under control. Gentleness is restraint. I could cut you. I could crush you. I could humiliate you. But instead, I choose mercy, kindness, humility, and love. Gentleness is a Navy SEAL playing with his kids. Gentleness is Jesus going to a cross capable of calling down armies of angels to protect him. When you have the power to hurt, to retaliate, to undermine, to embarrass, to humiliate, and instead you choose tenderness and kindness and love, that's gentleness. What if you live that one out at home, at school, at church? Think that would heal some of your relationships if you were gentle? Gentle? I need to pick up the pace because when I go long our worship team whines. i would rather have some of you guys go home hungry than let me feed you if it goes overtime. That's humor, okay? A little tiny bit. Tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness. <laughs> I'll love to be quick on this one. Patience. Hate that one. We talk about people being short tempered, having a short fuse, irritable, touchy. Some people are just wounds waiting to be picked. Paul uses an interesting word for patience here. It's actually a compound word. It literally means together, long-suffering, long-tempered. It means it takes a lot to rile you up. It means when someone says something to you, you don't automatically assume the worst or think the worst. You're not easily provoked. It means that when necessary, you have the capacity to slow down to the speed of someone that you've got to love on that's enough the next two are so powerful and they kind of belong together make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you make allowance for each other's faults and if that's not enough forgive them and God is such a realist and go figure he, he knows that all of us are quirky he knows that sometimes we're stupid he knows that we're going to hurt each other sometimes we're going to hurt each other by accident sometimes we're going to hurt each other on purpose if it's an accident he says make allowance for each other's faults not everything requires an apology not every slight requires an apology he does something that hurts your feeling he didn't mean to get over it make allowance for each other's faults she's had a bad day she neglects you she snips at you get over it not everything requires an apology Make allowance for each other's faults. Don't be such snowflakes. Cut each other some slack. Quit being babies. Some things don't require forgiveness. Doing relationships kingdom style requires bearing with sometimes. Do you think some bearing with would take some of the pressure off some of your relationships? And if the provocation really does go beyond what can be born with, forgiveness kicks in. And that one is really, really hard. C.S. Lewis is one of my heroes. And C.S. Lewis said, forgiveness is a lovely idea until you have someone to forgive. No kidding. Struggling to learn forgiveness is one of the toughest battles I've fought in my life. I'm terrible at it. But it is God's way it's doing relationships kingdom style letting it go surrendering my right to get even handing that over to God who's the only one who's really good at it sorting things out have you ever heard this blasphemy maybe you've actually said it or thought it God may forgive you but I can't God may forgive you but I won't it's not only sheer disobedience for us Jesus followers it is such arrogance My standards for you are way higher than God's. And when we go there, and we do, what we're telling God is this, my anger at them is more important to me than my peace with you. And we don't want to go there. To drive it home, Paul adds this. He says, remember, he forgave you a lot. You need to forgive others. You will never be asked to forgive more than God has already forgiven you. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. That's doing relationships kingdom style. Could you imagine what it would be like to be in relationships where people actually tried this stuff? Above all, verse 14, he says, clothe yourselves with love. Clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Because all the rest of this stuff is what love looks like. If Paul had wanted, he could have just said, just love God and honor him. And just love what God loves and honor them. All the rest of this stuff spells out what that looks like. And if we try it, it is exhilarating and it is healing. one more idea I'm going to wrap up with this one verse 15 Paul says and let the peace that comes from Christ rule let it rule in your hearts for as members of one body you are called to live in peace believe it or not this term here rule is a sports term how many of you guys are jocks or used to be Okay, you don't have to raise your hands nobody's going to believe you for a lot of us how many of you guys have kids playing in different sports You ever been to a game where the fans got all worked up? Dumb question. You ever been to a game where the players got all worked up? Dumb question. I mean, there's always contested calls. I mean, me and the people on my side, we saw exactly what happened. We had a perfect look at it, right? We know exactly what went down. The people on the other side, every single one of them is brain dead and blind. Kids are getting hot. Coaches are yelling. Parents are getting worked up. If there was no ref, if there was no ump, someone's probably going to die. He was safe. You could see his foot was on the line, right? She was offside. What would a game look like if there were no refs? I'm pretty sure it would look exactly like hockey. Some of you guys would probably pay double to see it, right? Right? But it wouldn't be good, it wouldn't be godly. The referee steps in, the umpire steps in, he makes a call and the game goes on. Some of the fans are great, some of the fans are grumpy, but the game goes on. Paul says, let the peace that comes from Christ, let that rule. Let that be the umpire, let that rule. Let these things we've been talking about, let them rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, we are called to live in peace. This is what he made us for. You were called to do relationships in peace. So let the peace that comes from Christ through things like mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance and forgiveness, let that stuff arbitrate your disagreements because you're going to have them and see the magic that happens. You're going to need this stuff, guys. You see, we do life in relationships and we're lousy at them. So let the peace of Christ be the umpire, the referee and if you don't allow his peace to guide you Satan will so what's it going to be compassion or indifference kindness or are you going to persist in your animosity humility or are you going to go through life self-absorbed gentleness you're going to be harsh patience you're going to live in frustration you're going to bear with or you're going to just stay touchy you're going to forgive or you're going to eat your bitterness you're going to love or you're going to put in its place Why don't you pray with me Father this is tough stuff all of us mess up a lot people around us mess up a lot and without doing relationships kingdom style they just deteriorate and they're not as healing as they were meant to be help us to be ruthlessly honest as we examine ourselves and where we struggle with these things we ask your strength we ask your forgiveness help us to be the people that you made us to be Help us to be a community of faith that you meant us to be. A place of healing. We love you dearly and we want to honor you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.